Hello, everyone. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor for this month, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. The Honors College brings the good, the true, and the beautiful to the next generation of leaders. With this great books-based program, the Honors College enlightens and challenges young minds, while also preparing them for a fruitful life. Students can major in the great books or choose a professional major founded on those classic texts. With SCOLA, its summer high school program in July, high school students get a taste of the experience combined with the great outdoors, fun, and friendship. Discover the world through a critical eye on this all-encompassing journey. The Honors College of Belmont Abbey, a life well-lived awaits. Visit them at www.bac.edu backslash honors. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Joining me this week is Molly Reichner. Molly uh, has progressed from a room mom to part-time teacher to head teacher uh, and now principal at Trinity Christian Academy in Ohio. It's a K-8 classical school. She currently teaches Latin uh, as well as rhetoric and English. Uh, she also serves on the board of her local library. She has two grown daughters and a passion for classical education, quality literature, and quiet time to enjoy her family. She is also the head mentor of our Midwest Apprenticeship Group for the apprenticeship program here at Circe. Molly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Brandon. Glad to be here. I'm excited to talk to Molly because she has a kind of a unique vantage point coming through the ranks as she did it at her school uh, from, from a room mom to, to head of school. So she has a lot of experience and a lot of perspective um, on the needs of parents and teachers and, and headmasters. So Molly, I thought we could just start out talking a little bit about teachers, you know, and their need for um, ongoing support, both from a, a peer network and then mentors as they continue to grow in their in their uh, profession. What have you seen as kind of some of the biggest needs and how they're met differently through the, the you know, peers and, and mentors for mm-hmm. teachers in the classical renewal? Yeah, that's a good question. So in, in my school, we have seven teachers that are together. So we're fairly small school, but over the years, We've definitely seen the need for spending time together, getting to know each other, and helping each other as friends, not just colleagues. So that's been real important to just enjoy each other. And like I said, as a small school, we've had that opportunity. Um, We meet together every morning, which a lot of schools do for devotion and prayer and just sharing our lives. Um, And we do things outside of school. We do little retreats. We go to events for each other. So that's something that We've just been able to enjoy over the years. But besides that, within the school, we have, of course, teachers who are newer and those of us who have been there for a long time. So being able to be open to people and other teachers helping along the way, offering advice and being willing to hear that advice um, in a mentor-mentee kind of relationship within the school has been um, just a wonderful, wonderful aspect of our school. Molly, what do you see are uh, the typical needs for a new teacher or maybe someone who's new to teaching in a classical setting um, Mm -hmm. as they come into the school? I think one of the biggest things is encouragement for a brand new teacher that the first year is going to be a challenge and the second year may still be a challenge, but it's around about that third or fourth year when you've begun to teach the same thing more than once. For Mm -hmm. example, if you're in the same grade, 
which not all teachers do. Sometimes you change grades every every year as the need arises. Um, but understanding that there are people who have also been there, and that's where that mentor relationship comes in. So when a new teacher comes in, just letting them know, okay, here's how the previous teacher may have run the classroom, and you don't have to do it exactly the same way, but don't reinvent the wheel, right? Here's how things run well, but put your own flavor to it. Um, and just encouragement, because that first year of doing anything is difficult. You're learning the curriculum, perhaps, and learning your students, learning the flow of the school day, besides getting to know your students, and it can be overwhelming. So for a new teacher, just to be willing to know that it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging, and for the teachers who have been there for a while, to be willing to go come alongside and say, we've all been there, and we've made it, and it's it's going to get better month by month and year by year. Um, you talked a little bit about the, the the things you do together inside the school. Um, what opportunities have you have you found or, or to be helpful um, for teachers as they kind of go beyond the, the you know your your school's walls mm -hmm. um, place to go or trainings and things that have been helpful for them? Right, for sure. So you know for for within our walls, I mentioned we meet together every morning just as teachers to pray together. But we also have a book that we're reading every year during the school year. We read some sort of book that has to do with classical education. And then during the summer, we always have a summer uh, summer classic that we read. So every year it's something nice. different. And that way, when we come back together at the end of the summer, um, we either have a couple of days that we meet at the school or we have a retreat off somewhere else. That's part of our retreat time is talking about that book that we've read. So we've done all kinds of things. We read Don Quixote one summer. We've done, um, uh, of course, now my mind, is, we had Frankenstein, Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice, all the classics that we've done. And um, that's been a fun part. Um, Don Quixote, I had a little pushback. There was, <laughs> that was kind of a, that's a hefty book for a summer read, but um, it was fun. But outside of the school walls, teachers, um, being able to connect with other teachers in other classical schools or classical homeschool co-ops, that's been really um, an important part of our teachers' growth as well. Um, we would often go to the Cincinnati Homeschool Convention because that's there's just families that are homeschooling classically and families, and we try to um, just show them we're not the only ones here. We're not the only ones educating. And I say we kind of go... Uh, under the radar a little bit. In Ohio, we're actually considered to be a homeschool co-op, that we function fully as a school. So hmm. but we'd go and we would, you know, sit in on the, the classical talks to try to get some more encouragement. Um, definitely listening to the podcasts. I encourage podcasts from Cersei and um, others just to know, again, we're not the only ones doing this. Because mm -hmm. sometimes when you're in your own little corner of the world doing this thing, you can feel kind of lonely and kind of apart and that you're you don't have the outside support. Um, so looking for ways to connect is really, um, is really important. Samal, so, you, you served as a teacher um, before, I mean, you're serving as a teacher now, but before mm -hmm. your role as the, as the principal, um, yeah. what, what's something that, you know, from both those roles that the, the headmasters can do to really, um, help their their teachers continue to grow? I think, and I don't know who shares this opinion, I think it's important for the headmaster to continue teaching in some way in the school. Uh, that way you know 
you know, feet on the ground. Here's what it is. We're mm-hmm. in the classroom. You're getting to know the students in the school. So I think that's what we call a headmaster or head teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So you are still teaching in some way. So I think that's pretty important. And being there as a support, that's the biggest thing that, that I try to give my teachers. My door is always open. They're always able to come in or I stop in and check in on people. So again, so that they're not feeling like they're trying to do this all on their own. There, there are places you can go to get some, get some support and get some help. So having that open door, and of course, there's times when I'm either teaching or I have things I'm working on. But in general, the teachers in my school know that if they need something, they can come in and check in with me. Yeah, that that teaching one's an interesting part because we I think we lose sight of that the that term headmaster really comes from he was the head of the masters, the head of the teachers, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Um historically it took being it being one of the teachers first to become the headmaster. Mm-hmm. I think we see a lot of this um peer encouragement being encouraged, you know, peer training, peer, peer um uh kind of working on projects together at, at the teacher for the teachers. Mm-hmm. I think or I would assume it sometimes that that's tougher for the headmasters, right? Because the teachers, you, the very least you have other teachers in the school often. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about the importance for headmasters to also be getting some of that kind of peer interaction with other headmasters? Yeah, definitely. So as the headmaster, head, head teacher of a school, whatever your role is, um, if you're the only one there, sometimes big schools have the head of school for the lower school, head of school for, and then mm-hmm. you've got some automatic peers that you can talk to, but if you're the only one there, there's often pieces and parts that are moving that are not the responsibility of the teachers. So there's, you know, certain responsibilities, certain things to work through, uh, weights on our shoulders. Um, It's a big responsibility to lead a school. And if you don't have someone who understands that kind of responsibility right next to you, or at least somebody that you can access and ask questions or talk to or just share some of the struggles, you begin to feel that, I know, I've said this too many times, but you begin to feel like you're alone. And where do you take those struggles? So finding someone somewhere that you can share that with, that understands, I think is is pretty vital. I read a statistics, a statistics once, I said it twice. I read a statistic <laughs> that heads of school often burn out in a particular school after four or five years. Hmm. Because it's a it's a lot to do, especially in the bigger schools. There's a lot of responsibilities, and I think that finding outlets to share that burden is going to help that. So finding someone or a group or a a peer group of your own is really important. Okay, where where have you uh, found uh, found that for yourself? Mm-hmm. My well, Cersei, basically. <laughs> So uh, joining the apprenticeship, going through the apprenticeship, making some dear friends um, whom I'm always able to call. If there's something going on in the school, somebody, there's somebody that I can check in with and say, this is happening. Here's, here's what I did. Here's how I handled it. What could I have done better? And without those people that I have to go to, I would probably be sitting at home and stewing about it a little bit more. And you always need advisors. You need people around you to bounce ideas off of. And for them to say, yeah, you might have handled this better, or here's something you could do in the future, somebody that's able to walk alongside in that way. Um, so through Cersei has been my biggest lifeline. I remember when I joined the apprenticeship, it was um, back in 2011, and I'd been um, head of school for about three years, and I, I went to a Cersei booth, and 
heard about this apprenticeship and um, just told the, the folks there, said, we're a classical school, but I don't even know if we know what classical really is. I said, would this apprenticeship help me help our school? And they said, absolutely. So here we go, joined the apprenticeship. And it was a lifeline because um, not everybody in the apprenticeship group is a classroom teacher or an administrator. Um, it's a great mix of those roles within apprenticeships, but you've got people that you can share with. You've got people who are willing to discuss and willing to sit and listen and um, hold you accountable. That accountability is, a, a, I think, an interesting part because I, th I think um, I mean, there are some, obviously there's some organizations surrounding classical education that provide some accountability and accreditation and all those kind of things. But in the day-to-day, -day, that can be tough, especially for a headmaster. Um, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more about what what that looks like and what kind of uh, tough love you've, you, <laughs> you've experienced with some of those relationships. As far as a mentor group or as far as a peer group, that is that what you're asking? Uh, I mean, I think specifically as the as the head mentor role. I mean, okay. as a, I mean, sorry, not head mentor. As a, a headmaster role, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's typically, you know, there's there's a board, there's parents, but yeah. but not in the same way that the head uh, the headmaster is keeping the teachers accountable on mm -hmm. that day to day. Some you know some of that accountability and how that mm -hmm. peer group can help provide that. Right. Hmm. That is a good question. I know my my teachers are able to help keep me accountable too, because we've been, you know, we've been a group for a long time. So we know each other very well. And there have been times where I've, someone has said, here's what I need here. Here would be a way I could have heard that better. Mm -hmm. Or uh, this is something that I need some backup on. So be having a, having a relationship like that between the head of school and the teachers where it can go both ways in an mm -hmm. appropriate way is important. Am I hitting the question? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I just uh, um, I, I I don't have the experience of of, of in that role, but um, mm -hmm. just as you know, like you said, just with a smaller school in particular, you're the only you're the only um, right. administrator. Um, right. What kind of feedback you can get from other administrators if you cultivate that that kind of network of people who are also heads of school or upper schools or whatever it might be? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I mean, look, you've got to find the opportunities. So looking through, looking around your area, maybe there's other schools in the area that you can check into. Um, there's not many other classical schools in my area at this point, mm -hmm. although more are popping up, of course. And it may be that you're just willing to step out and make those connections first. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of speaking to myself here too. make those connections, uh, call up the headmaster, head teacher, or whomever the leader is of another school, even if they're not you know, right next door and offer and say, hey, we're kind of in the same boat. How can we help each other? Is there something that we could do together? Is there something, some way that we can get together once a month or just even Zoom, go to get on Zoom and, and talk? So I think making those opportunities is another uh, another way that you could get some, some uh, support in that way. You mentioned that for teachers, it can be that first one or two years, especially can be tough as an entry mm -hmm. point. Um, things start to kind of turn a corner maybe in year three. Yeah, You've been a head of school for a, 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 a decade now. Um, yeah. um, what what are some of those early days kind of challenges for a new uh, head of school to be looking out for and, and um, seeking help on? 
Right. Well, I think one of the biggest things might be understanding how how parent interaction will go, okay. um, and setting that setting that tone. Who should parents be contacting with questions? Is it you? Is it the teacher? What is that? What's the chain of command, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Um, it can get out of hand, and I'm not saying that it has at my school, but I could see, and it can get out of hand if people are jumping, right? Mm-hmm. If if you are the one that they're heading to first things are a little bit out of balance, right? So coming into a new position, a new school, or even starting a school from scratch, I think setting those boundaries would probably be important. Um, are you one who's going to be okay with calls and texts late in the evening or even in the evening? Or do you set boundaries to where you are available during these hours? So coming into a new position, think about the boundaries that you want to set that work for you and for your family and for your home. Um, but understand understanding that as head of school, you really are that support for your teachers, and it's not a small job. It's important, and um, so I think setting boundaries is a is a big first step. Understanding that there's a lot of undergirding that your teachers might need without micromanaging, mm-hmm. right? Teachers who have been hired into a school, they're hired for a reason. Right. They wouldn't have been hired in if they weren't competent and intelligent and and ready to go. Um, Finding again, finding that balance of making sure that things are happening in the classroom that are supposed to without micromanaging. I think being a leader of anything is going to you need to find that balance of support and yet. Letting them know we trust you with the job as well. The classical uh, renewal is is growing quickly. We're adding schools and co-ops quickly. Um, what do you think are some of the challenges kind of hitting us now or coming, coming down the road, um, both for teachers and head and heads of school, um, Mm -hmm. as, as this growth kind of goes quickly? Hmm. Yeah. Growing quickly can have its own problems. Um, I think, okay. Speaking specifically for a school, thinking about how fast do you want to grow? That's something to pay attention to. Are you wanting to get to a certain level by a certain time. And if that's one of your goals, then you've thought through that and you know things, the hurdles that you're going to have. But on the other hand, not being afraid of a a gentle, slow growth. Yeah, don't get ahead. Don't get ahead of God's plan for you. Don't get ahead of the plan for the school. Um, Others are just, you know, I think with the, with the, um, the growth of the classical renewal, there's so many more resources available. Mm-hmm. There's so many more um, curriculum companies that are available and the options are there. You know, ages ago, there were only a few that were thinking about you know, Cersei and these others that were just starting with the classical renewal. There weren't a lot of resources for classical teachers and classical schools. Now there's all kinds, which is fantastic. Um, so I think taking time to, to really sift through and not try to do everything. If you're trying to do too much, you're going to get overwhelmed and staying focused on what is, what is your school about? What are the pieces that I want to bring in and bring in and make changes on purpose, not just because it's the next flashy thing perhaps. So I think anytime there's a, there's a quick growth of things, all of a sudden there's all kinds of things like a big smorgasbord and you want all the, you want all the things and you may want to look at it a little more carefully. Your school is K through eight. Mm-hmm. Um, is that uh, has it been a, difficult to keep it at that with with 
parents wanting to to move beyond the eighth grade or is that is that how? yeah no we've we're actually hoping to add our ninth grade in not this fall but the next fall okay so we can start bringing in our our upper school as well what we often see is families who get into that sixth seventh eighth grade level and wanting more than what our school is able to give as far as extracurriculars mm-hmm. and things like that we just are not of that size. Lots of classical schools are of a nice size where they can have the sports and have the music. And that's great. We don't have that. We are able to take part in some, you know, the kids from different school districts are able to do sports, but it seems like our families start dropping off that the attrition rate when they get into those middle Mm -hmm. school years, it just starts to fall away. So having, um, taking that jump to add those grades is is a leap of faith, right? Mm -hmm. That we're going to have enough families to be able to support the hiring of teachers. So uh, we just had, that's not something we've been able to do yet, but we're, we're taking that leap in the next couple of years to start adding a ninth and then hopefully a 10th. And then we'll see where we are from there. Well, that takes me back to your, your previous answer about, um, you know, the importance of kind of no, as we, as we grow fast, knowing what you're about and not grow too fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some things that y'all have tried to do to, to stay focused on kind of your core purpose and and principles for existing. Right. Um, Our school is very focused on our families, which I know a lot of of schools are and they should be. So we, um, our our board is made up of parents from the school. So we've got, uh, we know they're very invested in the school and that's, that's one of the reasons for that decision for our board. Um, We also do everything we can to get our families together as often as we can throughout the year. So we have two or three just potlucks for our families to come in and uh, have picnics together. So we get everybody together. The adults get to know each other. The kids can get together and play some more. And that's been an important part. Over the summer, we have two or three play dates. So we get together at a local reservoir park and, and meet together. And I think by the families making friends with each other, it's, it, it, be, it leads to a, a deep investment in the school. We, know, we always tell our families and our new families, we are there on behalf of you, the the parents, um, and this school is to support your effort in educating your kiddos. So keeping our families invested in the school is a big is a big deal for us. Okay. Yeah. Your experience, uh, at least as in the in the apprenticeship program as a head mentor, I think uh, there's fewer head mentors that are in there. Uh, typically, teachers and homeschool parents. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think are some of the distinct advantages for going in as a, as a head mentor or maybe not advantages, but unique kind of opportunities there for head mentor. For, I'm sorry uh, for a head, headmaster. Headmaster <laughs> to join. Confu- the yes. Confusing my terms there. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really important. I think it's um, it's hard though. It's hard for um, heads of school to go through the apprenticeship because um, you may or may not, be teaching, right? And mm-hmm. part of the requirement for the apprenticeship is to be able to teach lost tools of writing somewhere. So it's adding on that writing component. So it is, it's a deep dive into classical education. Um, and it's not impossible, but um, I think as a head headmaster coming through an apprenticeship, if it were this teacher apprenticeship, it's going to give you a, a deeper knowledge of what the teachers are going through. So I think that would would be able to um, 
be something you could take back to your school as well to understand that you're hearing directly from teachers from other schools, homeschool moms and dads um, in those settings and what what experiences they're having, what questions they're having. Um, so in that way, I think um, a head of school could absolutely benefit from going through the apprenticeship. Thanks. Uh, that's it's good to know. That's not you know obviously not my, wasn't my experience with it, but um, it seems like it would it would yield some interesting mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, that's what helped me when I went so. through as the head of school. That was one of the things that was was helpful to me was to hear from the other moms and dads who were teachers, right? And mm -hmm. I was teaching too, so I was in kind of a I, I teach more than a third of the day, and then the rest of the day is is my head of head of school responsibilities. So I was okay. definitely in the classroom for several things besides doing the um, the administrative role as well. So that maybe it was a unique perspective that I had coming in for me because I taught so much and did the the administrative mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, but ideally, having something that's focused on heads of school in in that same kind of fashion will be um, would be a really good idea. Okay. Excellent. And what, what, um, what, how have you taken some of that back to your school, as you mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. as, as the, as the headmaster? When I first, when I first started, and of course, part of the, the uh, book, one of the books you read with the apprenticeship is Norms of Nobility. And that's a very dense book, David Hicks. So I got back after my first retreat and I said, we are all reading this together. <laughs> and, and we did, and it took us two years to get through it. We went through it slowly. Um, so that was one of the big things I brought back was we can read these hard books together, bringing back the idea of um, we as a teaching staff continuing to read and learn on our own, apart from what our students are learning. Right. Uh, bringing back the ideas that uh, if if part of our mission statement is to uh, cultivate lifelong learners or, you know, whatever the mission statement will be, okay, we need to model that. So those were a lot of the, um, the the big ideas that I brought back, as well as, okay, I'm learning about mimetic instruction. I'm learning about Socratic instruction. How can we bring those things into each of our classrooms? So not, not creating a full-on apprenticeship in my school, but bringing those ideas in just gently and, and um, having during our teacher retreat, some of those training kind of times, I think has been helpful for our, for our teachers. Um, introducing them to conferences and, and places that they could go, um, things like that has been has been very beneficial. Going through the apprenticeship has helped me stay very focused on our mission of staying a classical school. So that's been, as someone who's gone through it and is now running one, you're talking about classical all day long, right? Mm -hmm. And to, to not bring those ideas into my own school uh, would have been a disservice. Well, that, that takes me to your particular uh, apprenticeship. Um, as I've mentioned, I think on this show before, the 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 general information for what the apprenticeship is can be found on our website. Um, you've touched on it a little bit here the the pedagogical instruction in Socratic mimetic teaching and um, the the thinking through the big ideas in classical education, as well as some some practical uh, application and feedback. But each each of our locations has its own head mentor, has its own uh, locations where they meet and and, and local flavor, um, and really its own personality. My wife and I went through two different ones, and they were they were very distinct. And so, um, 
uh, while we while we still learned a lot of the same things. So I, I thought maybe you could get take a little time to talk just about the Midwest apprenticeship uh, and uh, when did you start that that your Our, first year? Yeah, the Midwest uh, apprenticeship opened in 2018. Okay. So five or six years ago. Um, we meet in, when we have our retreats, because there's two retreats each year, a uh, five-day retreat, end of July, beginning of August, and then the four-day retreat in February. And our retreat is at a, it's called the Millsite Lodge. It's all, you know, you're, we're staying there, we're eating there, everything is all included right there. So that's where we meet. It's northern Ohio, north, north central Ohio. We're near Lake Erie. We're near Cedar Point, which is, you know, a fantastic amusement park. There's There's lots of things to do. Um, in the evenings, besides just a lot of great places to the fireplace and sit around and talk. Um, so being near the lake is great in the summer and you take your chances with the weather in the winter for the winter retreat. So, <laughs> you know, it's Midwest and there is snow. Um, as far as the flavor of our apprenticeship, it's not, it, it's a fairly calm setting. Um, one thing that I always let my apprentices know right off the bat is that I'm not afraid of silence. So <laughs> it's okay if, if someone asks a question and, or if I ask a question and no one's answering right away, you don't have to fill the silence. You can, but it's okay if there's nothing happening, everyone's just sitting and gathering their thoughts. And it's, to me, it's, it's fairly peaceful in that way. So I'm not sure how to put that into a flavor of my apprenticeship, but I think <laughs> it's, it's a fairly peaceful, uh, peaceful setting and um yeah the um you mentioned there's some things to do there around where you meet um do you all spend some time going and, and doing that together or is it something people do kind of coming in and out of town um more coming in and out of town i think um i know there's been a group the last couple times that have gone up to the lake and spent some time up there walking on the rocks and and uh just just enjoying that time together I mean, definitely going out to eat in the uh, the evenings together. There's lots of nice restaurants and a couple of that have become traditional places to go. Um, there's there's one that we go to at the the last lunch after our retreats each time. So that's you know traditions that each apprenticeship group I know has mm -hmm. have, have started, and that's fun after several years to see these things falling into place. And okay, it's you know it's Friday afternoon and we're or Saturday afternoon we're ready to go home everyone's heading to Margaritaville that's where we're going so nice. it's uh, yeah it's a lot of fun so um evenings it's people are going out to eat heading off and seeing some places but mostly coming back in and then just sitting around in the the easy chairs and talking and um there's a there's a big old trout stream at the back of the property where we where we meet so sometimes you're up there on the hill looking at the trout there's you know, it's, it's very, it's right in nature. So there's a lot of peace, a lot of quiet eagles flying around. There's eagles nesting nearby. So those are some of the things that we look nice. for coming in. Yeah. Good, uh, good spot to contemplate all the things that are being, being exactly. discussed. And yeah. Take some time to decompress after those, uh, after those dense books. Too, That's so. right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, my, this has been uh, really helpful. I think, um, you know, hopefully we can continue these conversations and, uh, particularly for, for head mentors. I think there's a lot of, um, people out there on, on islands. So hopefully we can have some more conversation about uh, opportunities for head mentors to connect with one another and, um, and, and share that burden a little bit, but this is, I think been a nice start to that. Um, for everybody out there listening, I'll make sure we have 
links to uh, the apprenticeship and 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 Molly's school and some other things. Um, if you want to reach out to her with any questions yourself, um, and uh, but we'll put that in there. And then if you are interested in the apprenticeship program and you are in the Midwest or you just like going to the Midwest, uh, please do check out um, Molly's group there. Uh, they'll meet for the the first retreat um, for the coming school year in when did you meet in late July or July, August? July 24th. Late July. The week of the okay. 24th, yeah. So that is, uh, that is out there for all of you. Um, thank you for joining us again today, Molly. You're welcome. It's been fun. And thank you all for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning Doug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at Cersei Institute. Uh, you can dot org and you can also join the liquidity conversation on the Cersei Circle at Cersei.circle.so. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.